Welcome to the Resound Student Ministry Podcast. At Resound, we want to see every student fully devoted to their new life in Christ. Here's this week's midweek message, and we hope it gives you the courage to take the next step in your relationship with God. Right on, right on. Well, hey, welcome to part three of our series called Famous Last Words. You guys doing all right? Yeah? Cool. Hey, well, if you have your Bible, um, we're going to be using it tonight. I'm super excited um, about today's message. It's going to be, um, it's, it's, it, it's really powerful in the sense that we're going to see Jesus in a moment where he speaks some of his last words before he dies, right? So if you're unfamiliar with the story of Jesus, I say it's a story, like it's a historical account. It's his real life. If you're unfamiliar with the events of his real life, he actually came to the earth. He lived for 33 years. He died. And then the Bible says that he was put inside of a tomb and he rose again from the dead, right? And so some of the most pivotal and most impactful things that he said were during the moments leading up to his death, right? So today we're going to be looking at that. But um, I've called um, the title of this message, it's something uh, maybe you've heard your friends ask you before. How many of you have ever heard this question before from your friends? Hey, do you trust me, bro? <laughs> Has anyone ever heard that question before from a friend, guy or girl, maybe without the bro, but hey, do you, do you, do you trust me, bro? Do you trust me, bro? Um, whenever you hear that question, hey, whenever you hear that question, do you ever <laughs> think that that idea is going to be the best idea ever? Right? How many of you trust your friend whenever your friend goes, hey, do you trust me, bro? How many of you, like your immediate thought is, yeah, man, yeah, I trust you. Yeah? <laughs> Allison's like, no. Not at all. Not at all. Um, so I know probably <laughs> some of you have a good do you trust me bro story. But I'm going to tell you one of mine. Um, so it's this friend group. Remember I told you about a couple months ago, this friend group that I had when I was in high school. It wasn't exactly the most constructive friend group that I had. Um, but this friend group that I did have, um, we were really tight and we trusted each other. Um, and this trust didn't always lead to the best outcomes. And here's what I mean. So we found an abandoned shopping cart, all right? And we decided we were going to take this shopping cart and push it through the drive-thru of McDonald's and, and get fast food service by pushing the shopping cart through McDonald's, okay? So we do that successfully without getting arrested or being told not to do it again. And so my friend group thinks, hey, we should do something a little bit more adventurous, all right? And so we, <laughs> I wasn't the guy in the cart, okay? But listen, I was aware of it and I should have stopped it, but I didn't. <laughs> so um, I'm just as guilty as the rest. I can admit that and acknowledge it. And no, I am not advocating that you do this with your spare time. But my friends 
told one of our friends named Gabe to get inside of this shopping cart. And Gabe, like he's a pretty fearless guy, but he was unsure about this because here's what the plan was. We were going to put Gabe in the shopping cart, and as cars were passing the driveway of our school, we were going to scare them on April Fool's by pushing this shopping cart with plenty of advanced time, right, just across the street so that if a car is coming by, hundreds of feet in front of them, they would see a student in a shopping cart strolling across the street. It's hilarious in theory. But if you talked to Gabe the next day, it was not funny in theory. Here's what happened. My friend Ben put Gabe inside the shopping cart. And one of the last things Gabe heard <laughs> before my friend Ben pushed him was, all right, here it comes. Do you trust me, bro? <laughs> uh, and Gabe was like, all right. Well, Ben thought it was going to be really easy to push the cart forward. He pushes the cart forward, and Gabe doesn't move but like three inches. So they find out that with a human being inside the shopping cart, you have to get a running start. And so Ben starts running with Gabe inside this cart. Gabe doesn't know that he's about to do that, so the shock of the initial jerk sends him backwards. He's sitting inside like he was he was kneeling right now the it pushed him back he has no control his arms are on the side like the rails and he is rolling forward ben still pushing him running as fast as he can he's like all right man you ready ben that whole time didn't look where the cars were at all and there was a car that was coming right away at them, the shopping cart missed this car by like 10 feet. Listen, and this shopping cart, what they also forgot to scout was what was on the other side of the road, which was a ditch. And so Gabe is in this shopping cart. He can't cushion his fall or anything. The shopping cart hits the ditch. Gabe is ejected out of the shopping cart and lands into a ditch. So when you hear the words, do you trust me, bro? <laughs> I think you should have a second thought or a third or a fourth, right? Um, <laughs> so we just did trust falls, right, earlier. How many of you have ever done a trust fall? We just did trust falls early. How many of you have ever done a trust fall? All right. For those of you who have done a trust fall before, um, what were some of the things that were go through your head right before you lean forward for that trust fall? Yeah. You pray a little bit? All right. All right. Yeah, Gus. Hope no one's. <laughs> All right, Maddie. Exactly. Are they going to catch me or not? Yeah. Not too heavy. I hope you're not like me. All right, good. Leon. What? Yeah, just stop. Just stop. Yep, exactly. Exactly. So uh, <laughs> I feel like a lot of those same feelings, when we talk about like the feelings that we have doing a trust fall or the feelings that we get whenever our friends ask us, hey, do you trust me, bro? Like I feel like a lot of those same feelings we get whenever our faith is tested. 
whenever God asks us the question, hey, do you really trust me, bro? Like when God asks you and me the question, do you trust me? I feel like a lot of the same thoughts go through our head. Like, will you catch me, God? Like, God, if I trust you, will you really catch me? Hey, God, if I trust you, um, what am I really, what's it, what's it going to feel like for me? Because do you even know what it's like to be where I am right now? Like, do you even know what it's like to be dealing with what I'm dealing with? You mean, if I trust you, will you catch me? And what thoughts go through your head when your faith is tested? How do you feel when if you choose to trust God and follow Jesus, listen, if you choose to follow, to trust God and to follow Jesus, you may risk your reputation. If you choose to trust God and follow Jesus, you may lose your boyfriend or your girlfriend. How do you feel when if you trust God and follow Jesus, you may have to develop this thing called self-discipline and self-control? How do you feel knowing that if you trust God and follow Jesus, you're going to have to give up something. The possibility exists that you are going to have to give up something that you don't want to give up. That you're going to have to let go of something that you don't want to let go of. That you're going to have to drop a habit that you don't want to drop. That you're going to have to end a relationship that you don't want to end. That you're going to have to find a friend or have a hard conversation with someone that you don't want to have. Or that you're going to have to learn and spend intentional time in the word of God so that you can grow. But you don't want to do that. What's going to happen when if you follow Jesus and trust God, what's going to happen on the other side? And when God asks you, hey, do you trust me, bro? I feel like every single one of us could give an honest answer of how we really feel. And so here's the fact. Sometimes we can let our feelings overwhelm our faith. If you have something that you can write down or take notes, I want you to write this down. I want you to put this in your phone. I want you to write this on your mirror with a dry erase marker so that you can see this every day. Sometimes we can let our feelings overwhelm our faith. And what we need to do is to remember that our faith in Jesus can overcome our feelings. Our faith in Jesus can overcome our feelings. Because sometimes life will cause you to have feelings that seem to overwhelm your faith. If anyone's been in that circumstance before, will you just be straight honest with me and with everyone else in the room and just raise your hand, just tell us, sometimes there's been moments in my life when my feelings have overwhelmed my faith. When there's been moments in my life when, when God asks me, hey, do you trust me, bro? My honest, honest, honest answer is, dude, not right now. My arm is up. I've been there. But what we're going to learn 
today and what we're going to see in some of the famous last words of Jesus himself was that Jesus did not let his feelings overwhelm his faith. Jesus instead let his faith in God overcome his feelings. He let his faith in God overcome his feelings. And so if you have your Bibles, go to Luke chapter 22. And Luke is an author. He's a doctor, a physician, the Bible says. And what this means is this gospel of Luke, this book, it means that Luke um, investigated what everyone said about Jesus. And then he wrote down the stories or the events in history that he heard from those people. And he wanted to make sure that you and I and the rest of the world throughout history read these events. He wanted to know He wanted us to know what happened in this story, in this event, in Scripture. He wanted us to know. And I think there's a reason why he and God want us to see and kind of experience these famous last words of Jesus before he's about to go to the cross. Luke chapter 22, starting in verse 41 or uh, 39. So then he, he, Jesus, accompanied by the disciples, Jesus left the upstairs room, right? He just had the Lord's Supper. We talked about that um, a couple weeks ago. Um, He left the upstairs room and went, as usual, to the Mount of Olives. It was about a 15-minute walk from the room where they had the Last Supper. It was about a 15-minute walk from that room to... um, a place called the Mount of Olives, and at the foot of this mountain was a garden, and the garden's name was Gethsemane. And Jesus would often pray there. He made it his habit to pray there. And so Jesus is just going, he knows he's about to die. He's aware of it. We'll see as we keep reading. But Jesus still makes it a habit. Even though he knows he's about to face tough circumstances, he doesn't break his habit of going to pray. And so Jesus goes to the Mount of Olives, verse 40. There he told them, he told the disciples that were with him, pray that you will not give in to temptation. And he walked away about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed. And so Jesus and his disciples, they go to the garden. They're right here in the garden. And then Jesus says, hey, yo, you guys stay here. Pray that you don't fall into temptation. Everyone say the word test. Everyone say the word test. Test. Listen, temptation is what happens when the enemy tests your faith. But did you know that it is possible? Hear me out. Watch this. Did you know that it is possible, and the Bible says, that God will not tempt you to, to sin, but that God will provide circumstances in your life, in my life, to test our faith. Listen, testing is not the only thing that happens. Or, or We are not only temp- tested by the enemy. We are also tested by God. We are not tempted by God to sin. We are tested by God to trust him. We are not tempted by God to sin. Look at me. We are tested by God to trust him. And God, you know that statement, God will never give you more than anything you can handle? That's BS. 
God gives you and me every single day more things that we can handle in our life. What he says is you will not be tempted more than you can bear. When we struggle with sin, when we struggle with temptation, when what's on our computer screen seems so attractive, we can't drop it. Listen, look at me. Everyone will be tempted. That's a part of the human experience. Everyone is tempted. And the Bible does promise that no matter how you're tempted, there's a way out of that temptation. The Bible does not say that you and I will live this Christian life and never experience a circumstance or situation that we cannot bear without God's help. Look at me. Maybe for you that includes your schoolwork. Maybe for you that includes your desire to want to be better and you just are hitting a rut that you can't get past. Maybe for you that includes finances. Your family's in a tough spot. Maybe for you that's the idea that you can't imagine that you would live life right right now in this circumstance. Everyone has a boyfriend or girlfriend and you are just beyond a shadow of a doubt. Like you're just, oh my gosh, I just want someone to love me. Those are circumstances sometimes beyond what we can bear. And I think that God allows us to go through those circumstances so that we can see him and recognize that he's the only solution to them. And so Jesus, he's praying. He's walked away from the disciples about a stone's throw and he's kneeling down and he's, and he's praying. And watch this, verse 42. He says this, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. When he says the term cup of suffering, he's talking about the entire event of God's wrath being poured out onto him. The entire event of the crucifixion. Right? And if you're unaware of that, listen, if you're unaware of that, here's what Jesus experienced. He was arrested. He was falsely accused. He was beaten. He was betrayed by his own disciples. He was beaten by Roman soldiers. The Bible says he was whipped until his skin literally was no longer on his body. The, the Bible calls his description beyond human recognition. He was spit upon made fun of. People put a crown of thorns, literally a crown made of a thorny vine with thorns really long shoved into his head because he claimed to be the king of the Jews. So they made fun of him by saying, oh, you're the king? Let's give you a crown. Boom, crown of thorns. And they put him on a Roman cross, not just with ropes. They tied him with ropes. To keep him up there, but they what was really holding him there were nails that were driven through his wrists. This is historical fact, people. No one ever denies the suffering that Jesus went through. That is not under historical debate. Romans did it to criminals all the time. And Jesus was nailed to a cross. Jesus didn't die because of blood loss, though. The way that you die when you're nailed to a cross is by suffocation. Because when your body is up like this, you find it harder and harder to breathe. And so truthfully, to get a breath, 
you would have to push up on your feet, on your ankles, and the nail is through your ankles. You'd have to push up to take a breath, and then you could come back down. And the Bible says that that's how Jesus died. He knew he was about to endure all of that. And he's having this prayer with God, this conversation with his father. And God's about to ask him, listen, God's about to ask him, hey, do you trust me, bro? Jesus begins this prayer and he calls God his father. Something that I want you to see about the word father is that Jesus' relationship with God was personal. That it wasn't just, hey, big man upstairs, right? It wasn't, yeah, this, I, I, I go to church. It wasn't just an impersonal thing. It was a personal relationship. So who is God to you? Is he your heavenly father? Is he someone that you have a personal relationship with or is he just the big man upstairs to you is he just the god of your parents or the god of your grandparents is he your god is he your father because for jesus it was personal he says father if you are willing and what i want us to see there is that jesus acknowledged by by saying this hey god if you're willing what he wasn't saying is God, I demand that you change your mind about what you're about to put me through. He didn't say, God, I'm your son, and I demand that you change the outcome of what I'm going to have to walk through. God, I don't like the path you have me on, so I demand that you change it. Look at me. God... I hate that I don't have a boyfriend or girlfriend, so I demand that you give me one. God, I hate the way that I'm feeling right now because of the path that you have me on, and I demand that you change it. I'm following Jesus, but I know that it's going to be hard, and I demand that you change it. And Jesus doesn't say that. He says, if you are willing, please take this cup from me. And when you become a Christian, you acknowledge that Jesus is your Savior and your Lord. Look at me. This is huge. This is huge. Nobody has a problem with Jesus being their Savior. But very few can accept Jesus as their Lord, as their master, as their king as the one who actually has the highest authority in their life. And Jesus is in the garden. He knows what he's about to endure. And he's praying to God, his father, saying, I know who you are. You're my highest authority. And I am not demanding that you change the path that I'm about to take. I am just asking God, if you are willing, will you please let me have a different outcome than this. And here's what God does in response, or what Jesus says after that. And I feel like this is the prayer 
that I want for every single one of us to be able to pray with authenticity and mean it. Listen, Jesus then says this, yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Say your will. Say your will, not mine. Say your will, not mine. Jesus says that he is willing to surrender to God's plan even though he doesn't feel like it. He's willing to surrender to God's will even when it's hard. He's willing to give God the benefit of the doubt even though what he's about to walk through isn't going to be fun. And so when God is asking you and me, hey, do you trust me, bro? Maybe the thought in our mind is honestly, dude, if I walk down that path, it's going to suck. If I really start to live my life for you, I'm going to have to make some changes in my life, and it's going to suck. If I really start taking you seriously, God, and following you, and I start trusting you with my life, I'm really going to have to make some changes to my friend group. I'm really going to have to start breaking some habits I'm really going to start having to have the self-discipline and self-control to build new habits. And all of that is going to be hard and uncomfortable, and I don't want to do it. And Jesus just said, take all of that, put your life on the line, and trust God, because that's what I did. And this is the tension of the Christian life. I just want to read some verses to you, and then I'll wrap up. This is in Luke chapter 9. Just listen to this. And then Jesus said to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, right? How many of you say that you're a disciple of Jesus? You're a follower of Jesus. You call yourself a Christian. You're following Jesus with your life, right? He's describing you, at least I hope. If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way Take up your cross daily and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. Do you trust me, bro? Do you trust me, bro? And here's what God did. Here's how God answered Jesus' prayer. Jesus said, God, I don't want to walk through this, but I don't want what I want. I want what you want. And here's what God did in response. God did this. Then an angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him. Then an angel appeared and strengthened him. When you trust God and surrender to his perfect will, God will comfort you and your faith will be strengthened. When Jesus was having his faith tested, his trust in God tested, and he didn't want to follow the plan that God had, he didn't feel like he like doing that. He prayed, God, I know I trust you, but I don't want to do it, but I'm going to follow what you want anyway. When we choose, listen, 
I don't care how hard you think it's going to be to follow Jesus. I don't care what difficulty comes your way. I don't care what circumstance you're about to walk through that may seem beyond what you are able to bear. If you choose to follow Jesus and you let your faith overcome your feelings, the Bible promises that God will strengthen your faith, that God will give you courage to take the next step, that God will give you strength to continue. So here's the question. Do you need comfort today? Are you in this season of your life where you're going through a circumstance that you can't bear? Where if you were honest with me and honest with God, man, I really know I need to follow Jesus in this area of my life, but I'm not letting go. Because if I do, it's not going to be a fun road. And if I follow Jesus, it's not going to be fun for me. I promise you, if you let your faith overcome your feelings, the God of the Bible promises to strengthen you. And there's also another part of this. Who do you know that needs to be comforted and strengthened and encouraged? Because the Bible says that God sent an angel to comfort Jesus. You know what an angel means? Right? An angel is just a messenger. In this sense, it was a spiritual being who brought a message, listen, from God to Jesus that gave him encouragement, comfort, and strength. You might have friends who say they are following Jesus. Listen. And they're going through a circumstance that's beyond what they can bear. And if they choose to follow Jesus, they're about to walk through a hard road. But Jesus says, the Bible just said that you and I could be an angel to them, a messenger to them, carrying a message of comfort, encouragement, and strength when we encourage them to pursue life the way that God designed and to follow his will. So do you need comfort in this room? All I'm asking you to do is to be honest with God. And maybe have the courage to be honest with your small group. Do you know someone in this room who needs courage, who needs to be encouraged? Encouraged just means to fill with courage. Do you know someone in this room who needs comfort, who needs to be encouraged? Find them. Give them encouragement. Pray for them. Be an angel. Give them a message. And after his faith was strengthened, Jesus did this one last thing. Listen. He didn't just leave it at a prayer time. Jesus didn't keep, listen. Jesus didn't keep this comfort, this encouragement, and the strength that he received. He didn't keep it in his prayer garden. He didn't keep it in his church house. He didn't keep it in his moment with God. Listen, he took the strength and encouragement and he applied it in obedience. When he was arrested, he carried the cross that we deserved and he walked down to Calvary and he was crucified. And the Bible says that because of the obedience of Jesus Christ, God chose to raise him from the dead and that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Listen to me. 
Hebrews calls Jesus the example and the perfecter of our faith. And so here's what I want you to do. If you need comfort, strength, encouragement in this room, if you want to give God an area of your life, control and surrender of an area of your life, hands up, hearts open right now. And that was this week's midweek message. Wherever you are in your relationship with God, we can each take the next step. So what is the next step for you? Write it down. Tell someone about it, like a friend that you trust or your small group leader. We want to take this next step with you. To reach out to us or for more information about the Resound Student Ministry, hit us up online at fbcmalakoff.com students and visit our social channels on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. Take the next step and shine your light. Rizal is the student ministry of First Baptist Church, Malakoff, Texas.